somewhere in space. This may all be happening right now. Welcome to Star Wars at the Movies. Star Wars. Star Wars. Star Wars. At the Movies. An international oral history of cinematic experiences from a galaxy far, far away. An adventure unlike anything on your planet. Hello there. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the Star Wars at the Movies podcast. My name is Steve Danley, and some of you may know me from the Star Wars Collector's Archive podcast, which I co-host with my good friend Sky Payne. Uh, This is going to be something a little different, however. While the Kivecast is definitely geared more towards Star Wars collecting and collectors, this podcast is going to reside more in the realm of fandom, and more specifically, the diverse movie-going experiences of first-generation Star Wars fans uh, from you know both around the United States and the rest of the world. To give a little background, uh, this podcast is just one part of a new website I'm launching called StarWarsAtTheMovies.com, which is really a centralized location for fans and collectors interested in that original uh, era of Star Wars movie-going from the 1970s and 80s. I've been a vintage Star Wars collector going on 16 years now, mainly focused on the vintage Kenner toy line, but uh, over the last couple years I've become really fascinated with all of the uh, ephemeral items that were created and produced to uh, advertise, promote, and basically get the word out about Star Wars back uh, before it was a known commodity, which is really strange to think about. I mean, I simply can't remember a time in my life uh, when these movies weren't a part of it. But being born in 1985, the Earth had already been turning for almost a decade with Star Wars as part of its existence. Uh, Growing up in the late 80s and early 90s, it felt like this obscure afterthought, which none of the other kids seemed to care much about. Its time had passed. But uh, that said, to imagine a world where these films didn't exist is alarmingly difficult to grasp today. Their mere being is something that easily can be taken for granted. But to consider what it must have been like when that original film first hit the eyes and ears of those uninitiated moviegoers in the summer of 1977, it was a watershed moment and irreversibly one-time thing. Which starts to get at the inspiration and the ultimate goal of this show, which is to explore the history of that time and space through the memories of those that got to experience it. When it comes to collecting, you have the actual stuff to learn about and enjoy, but just as important are the people you learn from and enjoy the stuff with. Even more impactful are those seemingly insignificant moments that you share with those people, whether it's, you know, getting lost in a cow pasture on a road trip, or struggling to find any form of sustenance and ending up at a waffle house in the wee hours in the morning. These are the things that we remember vividly and fondly as Star Wars fans and collectors. But what about the people who kept Star Wars playing for 55 consecutive weeks at theaters across the country? Or those that happened to see an early preview screening of Empire Strikes Back and either kept the big paternal twists themselves or caused a riot in the schoolyard? Or those that enthusiastically entered Kenner's Return of the Jedi sweepstakes and were, you know, ultimately disappointed and uncomfortable with Nyanem taking over as co-pilot of the Falcon after mailing in for the action figure? Well, they'd have been wrong, because Nyanem is awesome. But anyway... What recollections do they cherish? 
As my collecting tastes increasingly shifted towards artifacts from this time period, I realized that the human aspect and its relationship to the bigger picture of the Star Wars trilogy's cinematic golden age was something I really wanted to document, especially because it's something I didn't get to experience, and nor will generations of Star Wars fans to come. With a background in archives and libraries, it seemed appropriate to approach this in the form of a somewhat traditional oral history, which is defined by the Oral History Association as a method of gathering, preserving, and interpreting the voices and memories of people, communities, and participants in past events, and that it's distinguished from other forms of interviews by its content and extent. The content of the interviews is grounded in reflections on the past as opposed to commentary on purely contemporary events. So what this podcast is mainly setting out to do is to revive and recreate that era through personal, first-hand accounts from those that were there. While the movies themselves are a critical element, it's the context and circumstances of their viewing that I'm really after. The who's, the where's, when's, and how's. The theaters, many of which may now be old friends long gone. The comrades, parents, or the siblings that shared in those matinees and the popcorn. Or maybe even the same Return of the Jedi soda cup. And with Star Wars being a worldwide phenomenon, having international representation with the interviews is another big goal, so we'll see where things go. Ideally, these central interviews would be more guided monologues than conversations, and you won't be hearing too much from me. Are you listen to me? In the cinematic tradition, some episodes will lead off with a vintage Star Wars theatrical trailer, followed by a bit of commentary before we hit the uh, feature presentation interview. With that, here's the very first teaser trailer for Star Wars that arrived in theaters during the Christmas season of 1976. And now, preview time. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now. 20th Century Fox and George Lucas, the man who brought you American graffiti, now bring you an adventure unlike anything on your planet. Star Wars. Here they come. The story of a boy, a girl, and a universe. space saga of rebellion and romance. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time. I am C-3PO, human cyborg relations, and this is my counterpart, R2-D2. Hello. It's an epic of heroes. Star Wars. 
So I'll include a link to the trailer video so you can watch it, but the first thing that stands out about this is the palpable absence of John Williams. His music was a staple of every Star Wars trailer that followed, making this earliest teaser a standout for its strange, almost 2001 A Space Odyssey profoundness in terms of the music. More on that in a minute. But the second noticeable dissimilarity is the lack of the iconic Star Wars logo that's still used today. Instead, we see this very nondescript, faint blue title text that's slowly approaching the screen and intercut with footage from the film, some of which, like you know, most trailers, is clearly unfinished. But to me, that logo and music are the essential elements that have embedded Star Wars in popular culture, so it's funny to see the world's first glimpse of this film without two major characteristics that gave it its identity. On the other hand, it's an absolute showcase for the work of Ben Burtt, and it speaks to the importance of his genius uh, in terms of embedding Star Wars in the ears of audiences just as much as their eyes. Nearly every iconic sound effect he developed for the first film is heard in some form, which makes those unfinished blaster blanks stand out even more in hindsight. It's also odd to see some of the film's earliest taglines in use, um, especially those that ended up not making all that much sense in the end. Somewhere in space, this may all be happening right now, became pretty much incongruous with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then you have the story of a boy, a girl, and a universe, which had to have had a different connotation at that point, though uh, it could be argued that it still remains valid. But then uh, other taglines are right on the money. It's a spectacle, light years ahead of its time, is about the best way you could describe this movie. There's a a great article on StarWars.com by Sander DeLang on the history of the original trailers for the trilogy, which has some fun tidbits on this one that are uh, worth mentioning. Its development began with the meeting between George Lucas, producer Gary Kurtz, publicist Charles Lippincott, assistant optical editor Bruce Green, and three ad agency reps that took place on November 26, 1976. A mere three days later, a rough cut was put together. Over the following weeks, Green would go back and forth between ILM and Modern Film Effects, or MFE, which was the company that did the effects specifically for the teaser, uh, including the exploding logo finale. Out of the $3,915.10 budget for the entire teaser, $1,268 went to the effects from MFE. The exploding logo was created by visual effects artist Joe Viscoso and Bruce Logan, who would both contribute to the pyrotechnic effects in Star Wars, including the shot of the Death Star exploding. Logan had worked with Douglas Trumbull on Kubrick's 2001, and Viscoso, who unfortunately passed away a couple years ago, is credited for the pyrotechnic work for things like Ghostbusters, Masters of the Universe, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which is an amazingly awful movie, uh, Batman Returns, and True Lies, among many others. And he actually won an Academy Award for his work on Independence Day. Basically, these guys were great at blowing stuff up. The ominous narrator is an actor by the name of Malachi Throne, who was also in Star Trek. That is an awesome name. The even more ominous music was inspired by Winter from Vivaldi's Four Seasons.
So seeing this teaser in retrospect, you can clearly tell that the movie was still really trying to find itself, which is uh, fascinating. Now, on to the feature presentation. And now for our feature presentation. As I said, my goal for the bulk of this show is for you to not hear much from me. Shut up! But for this first go, I thought I'd test out the format on myself. We will test it on Captain Solo. And get my story out of the way by uh, digging up the details of my very first truly cinematic experience with the Star Wars trilogy. The year was 1992. The place was the Arlington Theater in my hometown of Santa Barbara, California. to Star Wars came via the small screen and a Magnavox VCR. Return of the Jedi was the first movie I ever remember seeing, and it became my Saturday morning ritual to pop in the VHS tape rather than watch cartoons like most kids. As long as I had that tape and a way to play it, I'd be forever content. My parents would take us to the movies every once in a while. The first theatrical experience I can remember was seeing Ghostbusters 2 with my dad, which absolutely terrified me. Uh, We'd also go to a lot of Disney animated films, including a number of their uh, theatrical re-releases, which I always just assumed were new movies at the time. I saw the original 1953 Peter Pan for the first time when it was re-released in 1989, and then 101 Dalmatians in 1991. Regardless, uh, an outing to the theater was a big deal, and a big ordeal having myself and two younger siblings to wrangle. But the thought of seeing any Star Wars movie in a theater never crossed my mind. Um, they, They were movies that existed within my own little universe, and my younger self figured it would always be that way. That is, until the weekend of August 22nd, 1992. My mom told my younger brother and I that we were going to the movies, and I'd likely assume that she meant the nearby uh, small two-screen Fairview Twin, which is just around the corner from our old house in the suburb of Goleta. I can't recall precisely when I found out what it was that we were seeing, but when we pulled up to the cathedral-like Arlington Theater downtown Santa Barbara and saw a massive crowd lined up outside, uh, something began to click. 
To the best of my knowledge, this Star Wars trilogy triple bill was my first time at the Arlington, which is still the largest movie theater in Santa Barbara and was enormous to my seven-year-old eyes. The theater was built in 1931 on the former site of the Arlington Hotel, which was destroyed in this historically devastating earthquake in 1925. At the time, the entire city was being rebuilt in a Spanish colonial style, which still defines its look today. And the Arlington really looks more like a place of worship than a movie theater. It has this signature towering steeple spire that stands out for miles. It was established as a showcase movie house for Fox West Coast Theaters, which was the Fox Film Corporation's giant joint theater chain with West Coast Theaters in the early 1930s. It was eventually restored in the mid-70s by the Metropolitan Theater Corporation, which is actually the theater chain I grew up with and still runs all the theaters in Santa Barbara. As we got into the long line of moviegoers which wrapped from the theater's main entrance down this long, covered causeway and out to the box office in State Street, it started to dawn on me that apparently there were other people that were into Star Wars, which was news to me. Entering the 2,000-seat theater, it almost feels like you're walking into Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland. There's these Spanish colonial street facades and balconies that run along the left and right sides of the auditorium, and then this beautiful starry night painted upon the vaulted ceiling. The screen was and still is the biggest in town, and the sound state-of-the-art. And before the big Camino Real Cinemas multiplex was opened out on the other side of town in the late 90s, it was the place to see whatever big blockbuster movie was out. I remember seeing things like Jurassic Park and Independence Day there, among many others. It was also where I saw the special editions and, and prequels, but nothing will compare to what I was about to witness. When Star Wars hit the screen, I experienced an audience collectively roar and cheer for the first time in my life. It was so jarring and foreign, but at the same time really, really invigorating, and I was completely entranced. Most of the rest of that evening is honestly a blur. I do remember taking a break and missing The Empire Strikes Back, likely because my mom needed a breather and it was oddly enough the one that we watched the least as kids. And I let my seven-year-old self have it for for skipping that if I could go back in time. But there are two other moments that I vividly remember having an effect on me. The first was when Luke delivered the infamous Toshi Station power converters line. I was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. As the entire theater erupted in cynical laughter, my reality was forever changed. I remember worriedly thinking to myself, why is everyone making fun of Luke Skywalker? What's so funny? And I may have even turned to my mom in confusion and defensively asked her out loud what, why this was happening. The second came towards the beginning of Return of the Jedi, and when Jabba the Hutt's slimy mug first appeared, this low, rumbling holler of a cheer broke out in the audience, which struck me as odd. <laughs> why would anyone cheer for that guy? That said, these moments, you know, introduced me to the awesomeness and the communal nature of seeing Star Wars on the big screen. Uh, they're films that are truly meant to be seen that way and with a bunch of other people. On the car ride home, I just had one thing on my mind, which was busting out my Kenner action figures that had been temporarily overtaken by the likes of the Ninja Turtles, Ghostbusters, and Batman, which I'll always be fond of, but nowhere near in the same way. I have to attribute this cinematic experience as the moment where I truly never look back. Within the next few years, I'd start trying to put together a loose set of figures with my brother, go into comic shops, garage sales, and swap meets. I'd start collecting. It was truly transformative.
just as it must have been for those from that first generation that saw these movies when they were originally released. So, that's where I'd really like to go with this podcast. To travel back a long time ago and retrieve those personal memories which, together, form this cultural memory without rival in the history of popular film. Which is where you listeners come in. I'd really love to hear your cinematic Star Wars stories from that bygone era. So send an email to starwarsatthemovies at gmail.com or send me a message through the contact form at the main site, starwarsatthemovies.com. I'll uh, hopefully have a few guests lined up over the next few months, but until then, remember... Relax. It's only a movie, and it's all for fun. That's just a sample of the films to come. You can't please all the people all the time, but we hope we'll please most of you most of the time. Anyway, see you soon.